Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Needham, along with my wonderful wife, Janet, and we are going to be talking about successful principles of weight loss with Dr. Michael Turner. Dr. Turner, welcome back to our show. Thanks, Sean and Janet. Glad to be here. I had a lovely time last time, as I said, and uh, yeah, looking forward to making this a regular part of you know our, our lives and what we put out for the community. This is exciting. This is fun for me. I used to be a school teacher before I went to medical school, as I may have mentioned. So I dig it and I'm glad to be here and glad to support you. Yeah. So this is, as you and I were talking about before the start of the show, we were talking about how this is good timing for principles of weight loss, or maybe not, because we just got over Thanksgiving and we're going into the holidays where, you know, a lot of people struggle with, um, myself included, struggle with um, eating and eating too much Mm -hmm. mostly and and maybe some of the wrong things. So, you know, um, how about you just go into uh, um, some of the success that the ways that you have been successful with yourself and patients when it comes to weight loss. Yeah, happy to. I think th- a lot of it has to do with our mental approach to food, right? And so there's there's different ways that we'll talk about that, I think, today that's very, very important. But that's probably maybe at least half of, let's say, the winning combination, right? Is getting our mind right as relates to food, as relates to ourselves, body image, subconscious talk, you know, dealing with failures, setbacks, expectations, like all of that, right? If we can get our minds right, that's at least I would say solidly half of the battle. But to start off with, let's just say that you should never go on a diet. Let's just start there. You should never go on a diet, right? Diet is a bad thing. Why? Because a diet has in its connotation that it's temporary, right? This is your real life. And then this is the diet that I'm contemplating going on. Well, that right there is a bad distinction because what happens when the diet ends? right? Let's just ask that question. What happens when the diet's over, right? The answer is you go back to your old habits and then back comes the weight. And then now, except this time it comes with guilt because now you've sort of tried and failed in your mind. And so it's a little bit harder to get up off the ground, get back on your horse again in the future. And so the more diets you go on and the more relapsing and then the more guilt and the more failure and all that, we got a bad cycle going on, right? Not to mention diet has also the implication that it's deprivation, right? Diet's like mm-hmm. this time and place where I can't do and the fun and eat all the stuff that I want. I got to like suck it up, you know, like I'm getting ready for you know a wrestling match or something to go weigh in. And then at some point we can go off that and the fun can start again. Well, you can't live the rest of your life in deprivation mode, right? That's not sustainable. That's not fun. You know, I mean, I eat a fairly healthy diet, but every so often, you know, I like a piece of cheesecake. I like a piece of you know, pumpkin pie Thanksgiving. I like a little Christmas cookie that my daughter decorates and, you know, hands me and says, hey, dad, this is special. I made it for you. Fantastic, right? I can't go the rest of my life thinking I must never eat a piece of cheesecake again or, you know, I'm a bad person, right? Oh my God, I ate a sugar cookie. There goes my diet. So we got to get rid of the idea of diets. We have to move into the idea of just healthy, sustainable eating patterns, right? That are principle-based. We'll talk about that. And we replace them with the idea of moderation, right? It's about moderation. It's about Mm -hmm. principles. It's about your general pattern. Everyone will have a setback. That's okay. I mean, even the pros, even the pros, pro athletes, fitness models and all this stuff, even the pros, they have a cheat day, right? They have a cheat day. They have a cheat afternoon. Maybe it's once a week. Maybe it's once a month because mentally, psychologically, you can't live forever in a deprivation mode, right? So as long as we get our heads around that, we start to moderation. No food is bad. No food is off limits. You can't you you don't tell yourself I'm I can never have ice cream again or something. It's just instead of having three scoops with a lot of chocolate sauce, you have one scoop slowly and mindfully and you're satisfied with that and then you're done. Well, I agree with what 
um, doctor is saying, because um, I'll give you the example of my father. He stayed within about five pounds of his weight throughout his life, uh, most of his adult life. And mm. that just came down to very, um, I think, perhaps mindful eating, but he was very consistent. It wasn't like he did crazy things all over the board. He just ate the same mm. and very similar. Um, but he also was somebody that ate variety of things too. It wasn't like he just had just one thing on the plate, but um, whole foods, uh, that was one of the things that, you know, he mm -hmm. was a farmer and rancher. And so whole foods was, you know, part of his life. Um, but I think moderation is a, a key for most people. Cause I, I'll tell you one of my, my faults in my personality is I love cookies. Mm -hmm. I, if mm -hmm. I had cookies in my house, ah, there's no limit. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, I do have to be careful with that and just be mindful of it, but it doesn't right. mean I never have one. Right. It means that I'm careful about how I approach it. You know, I'm not going to bake dozens and dozens of cookies because I'd eat them all. So I'm not going right. to go there, you know? So, yeah. So Dr. Turner, tell us some other tips that you give patients for mindful eating or successful weight loss. Sure. The next one I would say, we need to change our relationship to food a little bit. Right. So let's consider, you know, when you eat and how you eat. Right. So let's talk about when we eat. Um, do you eat when you're hungry, for example, or do you eat when you are stressed or bored? Right. Or because the, the clock says whatever time you right. like you're supposed to eat. Right. So if we just get in touch with what it actually feels like to be hungry and actually don't eat until we're getting that hunger signal and then actually learn to stop once we feel full. Right. You can shave down a whole lot of calories and you'll get weight loss just on that basis. But that involves actually getting in touch with your body. Right. And what does it feel like to be hungry? And what's it feel like to stop when you're full? Right. And what's the distinction between eating when you're hungry, eating because you're stressed or because all these other reasons, because the football game's on. So I'm supposed to be putting something in my mouth. Right. Right. I mean, there are all these social cues. They actually have nothing to do with being hungry. So just right there, if we if we change around our relationship to food a bit um, and not only eat one, only when we're hungry, but also eating in a mindful and relaxed state. This is very important, right? Let's just say, how often do you eat in your car? Okay. And if you're eating in your car, how likely are you to feel that that was a satisfying, fulfilling right. meal, right? That will not leave you hungry and desiring more food in a half an hour. Okay. Similar question. How often do you eat in front of a screen? Okay. What's the likelihood eating in front of a screen with something agitating, typically on the screen, like the news or some movie right. going on, right? How likely are you to feel that that was a satisfying, great meal that you're not going to need to go eat something again, you know, in a half an hour? Well, I think one of the things that you're discussing is distractive eating. Yeah. Um, and, you know, distractive eating, it's just easy to eat too much. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm guilty in the car. Um, that's why one of the things in the yeah. car, just try not to eat in the car. And, and even, I should say, especially snacks. Because next thing you know, you have some beef jerky and, you know, or some, you know, trail mix or whatever. And the next thing you know, the whole bag is gone. Um, Correct. Because you have no idea what you're eating. But if you were at home, and you were eating those snacks, you would probably be more mindful of it. And it would say, whoa, I've already, you know, eaten a, you know, quarter of a cup of nuts. I mean, that's 180 calories. Um, sure. I'd better stop. But if you're driving, it's, it's easier to just eat too much. Uh, well, the next one would be talking about a low carb diet, 
right? What What is a low carb diet? People hear about a lot. It, there's a lot of logic to it. There's a lot of rationale behind it. And that's one of the first things I explain to people that I work with as well. Let's understand what a low carb diet is, especially a low sugar diet. And let's get you along those lines as one of our principles, right? And basically the way that I explain it is your body's got two energy sources to burn. It's got carbs and it's got fats, okay? When you eat, you also have proteins, but it doesn't want to burn proteins for energy. That's considered too important, right? We're going to use proteins for muscle, for bone, etc. So we're not going to burn up our proteins for energy unless we're starving to death. So we burn fats or we burn carbs. Fair enough. You have two different biochemical systems to do that. Both within the mitochondria, there are different sets of chemical reactions that take place, right? Um, and, and with the different kinds of enzymes, you literally have different enzymes devoted to burning carbs or burning fat. So you can think that your body has sort of a carb burning mode and a fat burning mode. The problem is when you eat a bunch of carbs, your body shifts to carb burning mode and it goes into fat storage mode. Right. And this is the opposite of what we want. Right. We want to essentially, therefore, starve the carbs and kick it into fat burning mode in which all those enzymes are what we would call upregulated, basically dialed up and all the fat burning enzymes get going and we're pulling fat out of circulation and burning it. Also, understanding that carbs provide a quick burst of energy, but they're not sustained. I would liken it to if you had a fire or a wood burning stove, you hit it with lighter fluid. Okay, that's carbs, that's sugar, right? Whereas if you put a really dense log in there, that's fat. So fat burns more slowly and yields more energy over time. And carbs are more of a quick burst of energy. Your body, in a sense, kind of likes carbs because it's just quick fuel and it's, and it's you know, immediate and apparent. But it leaves you feeling hungry afterwards because it doesn't sustain that long, right? So you have to essentially kind of cut down the carbs, turn your body into fat burning mode, and then you'll start to see better results. Carbs get vilified, but I think when you tell this is my this is my opinion when I've done it myself, yeah. or when I tell a patient to eat a low carb diet. Well, when you say eat a low carb diet, what are the first things that are going to go away? Bread, pasta, Twinkies, ho hos. I mean, mm -hmm. if you tell somebody to eat a eat a low carb diet, most of the junk is going to go away. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and and. You know, I think that's one of the important principles is that um, if you just tell somebody low carb, um, a lot of that processed stuff just goes away. Because if you're eating real food like, you know, ground beef and sausage and, you know, it doesn't have a lot of added sugar. Yeah. Well, and I also think to um, to the point of the less processed something is and the more yeah. whole that it is. Sure. You, you're going to feel fuller. For one yes. thing, because it's it's harder to eat more of a natural product that is a carb than it is something that's out of a package. Um, yes. So you know that helps too. But also, um, you know, I hate our our youngest son Jordan is very um, very precise, and so he he measures everything and weighs everything. And I think there is something to be said about getting your your grass on what a serving size is. I think that is a huge problem for people is what does yes. that serving size look like? What is yeah. it? And I mean, I don't feel like you have to be a slave to it, but I do think we should appreciate what that really looks like. Watching your liquid calories is actually one of my main oh, ideas with people, right? Yeah. Watching your liquid calories and moving towards water, essentially, okay? Mm -hmm. You can think of water as the ultimate dieting food, if you will, or the ultimate weight loss food. Why? Because it makes you feel full and it's got no calories, not to mention it hydrates you and that's important for biochemistry in your body, right? But uh, fullness in large part depends actually on your stomach being distended. A lot of people don't realize mm -hmm. that it's a volume 
phenomenon in large measure. Okay, so something that distends your stomach actually causes biochemical signals, including hormones, to get released to your brain that says, I'm full mm -hmm. now. Well, if you can distend your stomach, you're going to feel full. But what would most distend your stomach and let get, and yet give you the least amount of calories? The answer is water, right? right? So water in that sense is ultimate weight loss. The more water you're putting in, you're feeling full on a consistent basis. The opposite of that, of course, is the, sh the sugar calories that would come with liquid because they don't satisfy you. It washes right through, et cetera. Starbucks is a good example. There are tons of them. Gatorade is one of my other examples. I'm really negative on Gatorade, right? I mean, unless you're a college athlete sweating off that much and burning right. through, you know, yep. two hours of hard workout, like look at the Gatorade, look how many calories are in, look at the sugar. It's a sugar bomb. Mm -hmm. So I tell people to be careful of smoothies. Mm -hmm. Um, because I mean, you can load a smoothie and, and, you know, here's a, here's a response I get. Well, it's a healthy smoothie. It's got one banana. It's got chia seeds. It's got a scoop of whey protein. It's got some peanut butter and it's got some yogurt in it. All healthy things. Right. Right. Yeah. But smoothies 500 calories right? You know, and it's e or more and it's easy to pack calories into liquids. Let's jump in. Let's talk about intermittent fasting, for example, mm -hmm. huge concept, right? Very much in the news. And I want to tie that into the idea of doing cardio exercise in the morning. AM cardio and intermittent fasting are one idea, one in the same in my mind. And I talk to patients about that, right? So the idea here is once you go to bed, Within two, three hours after your last meal, dinner, okay, you are, your body has burned through those calories and then it switches to fat burning mode to sustain itself overnight. Granted, you're not intrinsically burning tons of calories at night, you're asleep, I get it, but you're still got, you know, 100, 150 calories per hour of maintenance that you're burning. So your body's in fat burning mode. So when you wake up in the morning, your body is in fat burning mode. So here's the key question. What are you going to do with that? Okay. If you put something in your mouth, it switches off the fat burning mode and goes towards burning what you just put in your mouth. Okay. So the idea is delay putting something in your mouth. You're in fat burning mode. Why kill that? Okay. Don't put something in your mouth. Stay right. in fat burning mode. In fact, accentuate it, run with it, augment it by doing your cardio in the morning. Okay. So there, there's studies that have gone, you know, looked at how many calories you burn, you know, of cardio and what proportion is fat at different times of day and all that stuff. But it seems that you're going to burn more fat if you do your cardio in the morning on an empty stomach. It's not the same to do cardio, let's say 7 a.m. fasted as 7 p.m. Okay. It's not. And so I encourage people and skip breakfast. Instead of breakfast, spend 30 to 45 minutes doing cardio. Okay. And then if you really blasted yourself on that workout, have a little small post-workout, something or other, I get it, protein bar, whatever, half a banana recovery. But otherwise, just delay putting something yep. in your mouth as long as you can and roll off of that exercise, which has then kicked your body further into fat burning. And just delay that breakfast, make it a brunch concept, make it a 10, 30, 11 thing. And if you want to get you know aggressive and all that, just start eating two meals a day, lunch, dinner, right? So now we're into the idea of intermittent fasting. So you cut out breakfast and you replace it with AM cardio, that jump starts a lot of metabolic um, you know, activity, weight loss for people. The other idea briefly with the intermittent fasting is, you know, when you're eating, you're peppering your body with food constantly, obviously you're putting your body in a, a mode of burning what you're giving it. And then any excess is getting stored. Right. And that's the opposite of what we want to do. If we lose weight, we want to get in the mode of pulling on out stored energy sources and burning them. Right. But if you're literally pepping your body with food all the time, you're giving it hardly any time to call on its stored energy sources and put them into biochemical circulation. 
you know, I tell people if a good intermittent fast is eight hours, so you're going to establish your eating window. Let's say like a 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. That's my eating window, let's just say, right? And you want to kick it off kind of early in the evening. You don't want to be eating after dark. That's very negative as far as fat storage. So eight-hour eating window is good. If you want to go extra credit, be an, be an overachiever, six-hour eating window is awesome, like a 12 to 6, something like that. Let's go back to the mental side of things for a second. Um, and I want to talk about dealing with setbacks. Right. Dealing with setbacks effectively is the idea here. Right. Because we're all going to we're always going to have some setbacks. We have expectations for how we want to be eating or exercising. We're going to have a setback. We're going to have, you know, that Thanksgiving when we overindulged, uh, et cetera. And <clears throat> there's a healthy and an unhealthy way to deal with those setbacks, essentially. Right. The unhealthy way, which unfortunately is more common, is to really berate yourself, be very down on yourself, say, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I did that again. I shouldn't have, you know, I'm a, I'm a terrible person. I'm just failing on this diet, whatever. Um, that ends up being unhealthy psychologically. I mean, obviously, as you can imagine, um, it doesn't it doesn't work. It's kind of like a carrot and stick concept, right? You're going to get a lot farther holding out a carrot for yourself um, rather than just berating yourself every time yeah. you mess up, right? So, which was really interesting. I was actually in uh, in medical school at Harvard in my psychiatry rotation. Okay, this had nothing to do with health and wellness. This had nothing to do with weight loss. It was in psychiatry, and they were talking about this weight loss study, and it was so fascinating. I've never forgotten, and I took notes, and I still use that to this day, as I'm going to share with you right now. Okay, so basically, they had the people. They gave them the same basic dietary instructions, kind of like low low fat, you know, low total calorie diet you know, exercise 20 minutes a day, this, that, and the other thing. All right. But then what was different, the intervention was psychologically, they, they gave them a script, which was what they would say to themselves when they messed up. Okay. When they had a bad day, what did they say to themselves? What's their self-talk in that moment? That was the difference. Okay. And one, one group was told to have a very negative self-talk and they were told to have something to say something like, I'm a terrible overweight person and I've just got to lose this weight. Okay. And the other group was told basically, well, I messed up, but um, pretty soon I'll have another chance to get on track. Okay. That's it. That was the only difference. They didn't tell one group to exercise more. They didn't tell one group to eat more broccoli. I mean, nothing. They just told them, this is what you say to yourself if and when you mess up. Okay. Fascinating. Roll forward, you know, eight, 12 weeks. Can't remember how long the study was, something like that. One group <laughs> lost weight and one group gained 30 pounds, Sean. No joke. Wow. One group gained 30 pounds. And we all know which group gained the 30 pounds. That was the group that say, was telling themselves, I'm a terrible fat person. This is disgusting. And I just got to lose this yeah. weight, right? And they successfully berated themselves into gaining 30 pounds over, you know, the eight to 12 weeks of that study. Very shocking, uh, eye-opening. And I've just always written that down and have camped on that and share that idea with people as well. If you want to comment on that, feel free. Yeah. Well, it just shows you the, the power of our psychology. Um, and it, you know, we have to, we have to be mindful of not just what we eat, but everything that's going on around us while we're doing that. So, and, and be, and be supportive of ourselves um, yes. because we are all, going to have setbacks, you know, even those of us that, you know, might not, um, you know, people might not think that we have setbacks. Um, we, we all have them. And I think it's just how we deal with those setbacks. You know, it, it creates an opportunity for us to just do better. And, um, you know, if we, if we positively reinforce ourselves that, you know, we can do better, we can get through this, um, mm -hmm. then it's going to be, um, 
it's going to be a positive interaction. But I can see and I can wrestle. I've wrestled this before when, you know, I've had a setback and you're trying to lose weight and you get on the scale and you think you've been doing good and you've gained three pounds. And I will tell you, it's like, ah, heck with it. I'm done. I'm just going to eat all I can today and not exercise, be sedentary. Mm -hmm. And next thing you know, and then you don't weigh for a month. Next thing you know, you've gained 30 pounds. It's not that hard to do. Right. You know, but if you tell yourself, hey, it's only a few pounds, it's only a day where I messed up or whatever, I can get back on track. It's just, it's a mind over matter deal. 100%. You know, I'll, let's dive into that a little bit further. So one idea that that I find helpful in explaining to people is your health <clears throat> is a series of independent decisions. And here's what I mean by that. Let's say you went to work today and there were donuts in the break room, okay, way outside your diet plan, but you know, you fell in a moment of weakness, you know. Uh, and you had a couple donuts and now at night you're reviewing your day and plus you lost your workout, let's say in the evening, cause you didn't get it done in the morning and you, your boss kept you late at work. Okay. So now you're heading home. You're like, ah, oh, this is terrible. I didn't work out and I ate two donuts. I feel gross. Right. Um, now you wake up the next morning. Okay. In reality, it's a new day. It's a fresh day. Yep. The sun is shining. The birds are out singing, right? God has created a fresh new day for you. What are you going to do with it, right? It's a series of independent decisions. Yesterday is as gone as a thousand years ago. Right. It's gone and it can never come back, right? So now this is your independent new day to do what you want with it. And the problem is we carry a lot of baggage and momentum and guilt like forward with us, right? So we let the failure of yesterday roll into and become the failure of today because as you said, you're like, ah, oh, crap, might as well, who cares now? I, you know, it's all over and like all this catastrophic thinking and all that. So now then we've got two days down, right? But it's a series of independent decisions. So you can just tell yourself, hey, you know what? Yesterday was a loss. I didn't do well that day. Fair enough. But you know what? It's not a problem because today is a new day and I'm going to have a bunch of chances to make some healthy decisions today. So praise God for that fresh, clean slate. You know what I'm saying? Every day is a new day. I'm going to get a new chance to make some healthy decisions today. Fantastic. And one way, one, two, two kind of word pictures that I use to describe this for people. Let's, let's talk about football, for example. Let's talk about the Seahawks. Hopefully everybody likes the Seahawks. Let's talk about <laughs> Russell Wilson. Okay. I like this guy a lot. But one reason people love Russell Wilson is he's very positive. He's got a positive attitude, yeah. right? Have you ever seen him sulking on the field? Have you ever seen him yelling at teammates, right? Have you ever seen him slamming his helmet down? I've never seen it. Maybe it's happened, but I've never seen it. He's well known to be constantly positive, constantly upbeat, constantly optimistic. Hey, we're going to go down the field. We're going to do this right now. I want you to imagine in your mind, they're driving down the field. They, they hike the ball. Okay. Lyman blows his coverage. Russell Wilson gets blindsided, gets sacked. Okay. He gets up. How does he comport himself? What's his mindset? Right. His mindset is not a problem. We're going to run back to the huddle. We're going to call fresh play and we're going to be successful. We're going down this field. One small setback, not a problem. Right. You don't see him sulking, yelling and having a big snowball and calling timeouts and like all steps like, oh, no, not a problem. One setback. We're going next play. He throws deep to somebody, you know, touchdown. Right. And that's the same exact idea for ourselves. I, our mantra can be just call another play. Just run back to the line of scrimmage, run back with a big grin on your face and a lot of positivity enthusiasm, run back to the line of scrimmage and call another play. You got sacked. So what? It's history now. 
It's as old as a thousand years ago. It doesn't matter. That was the last play. Run back the line of scrimmage, call another play. So hormones, as you may know, have a big uh, role in weight loss or or difficulty doing so. Um, and so I would say when people are feeling really dialed in on their diet, really dialed in their exercise, even their sleep, for example, and they're really struggling to lose some weight, at that point, you can have a hormonal basis, and it's important to check on those. Your thyroid is the most obvious example. Your thyroid is directly involved in energy production in your body. One of the main roles of thyroid hormone is to literally go down to your cells and control how many mitochondria are present in your cell at any given time and how active they should be, okay? That's one of thyroid hormone's jobs. This is why if you have an underactive thyroid, one of the uh, symptoms is a low body temperature. Your body is just not metabolically burning energy like it should be. You tend to feel sluggish. You tend to feel cold. The opposite is true if you have an overactive thyroid. You tend to be on the more thin side. You tend to feel hot. Essentially, your body's turned up uh, the, the thermostat as far as what it's burning. So trouble getting losing weight despite all your best intentions and such thyroid should certainly get checked the other thing that's important is your insulin levels um and we could perhaps talk about this a little bit more but insulin and weight loss have a huge overlap there's actually a book written not too long ago called the obesity code oh, this yeah. has become very popular with good reason it's an outstanding book is written by a physician i think he's out of canada if I'm not mistaken, his name is Fong. I think it's Jason Fong. But Jason Fong, and he's a nephrologist, yeah. actually. Yes. Yeah, because yes. he wrote the Diabetes Code also. Yes, and phenomenal. The cancer Code. Oh, yeah, it's phenomenal. Yeah. Everything yeah. he says is on point. It's very accessible. It's very well done. He gets a lot into the role of insulin um, and how you have to control insulin if you really want to lose weight, uh, and that's important. So. Well, and back backing up just a little bit on that, I think, yeah. and we should have you on our podcast to maybe have a discussion about the insulin thing in itself. But okay. um, I think insulin is more important than glucose when it comes to um, weight loss and diabetes and overall health. And you know, we we hammer so much on glucose and what's a you know what's a normal glucose level and you know if you're borderline diabetic diabetic and all that. But I yeah. have. I have, and I'm, I'm sure you have, I have seen patients that are in horrible metabolic health, but they do not qualify as a diabetic yet because their glucose is still mm -hmm. in the normal range, but their insulin is sky high. Right. So, and I think that's worse than having high um, glucose. And as you probably know too, there are certain, myself included, um, endurance athletes that we, our glucose is run a little bit high because we're used to burning it. So our body says, Hey, you need more glucose because you're burning glucose, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but yet our insulin is really low. Yes. Yes. So just for the people out there, our audience, you can get your insulin levels checked, right? So that's one thing I do for people. I'll check their fasting glucose, but I'll also check their fasting yes. insulin levels. And both of those should be considered as equally important. Right. Absolutely. When you talk to your primary care or somebody else, you should know what your insulin levels are. Yeah. Um, and speaking of that goes into one of my my last, I think, best idea for people here would be there are certain supplements you can take that will boost insulin sensitivity. So let's just talk about that concept, boosting or increasing insulin sensitivity. That's my last takeaway here. Um, the idea is that one of the jobs of insulin, if as it circulates in your body, is to store fat, to create and to store fat. That's one of its jobs. Therefore, if you have high levels of insulin at all times in your body, your body cells are receiving the message, it's time for me to create and store fat, period. If your insulin levels are sky high, you cannot lose weight. It's a, it's a firm threshold. Right. You will never lose weight more than your insulin levels will allow because they're constantly sending a metabolic signal to create and store fat. So then the, the magic question is, how do I get my insulin levels down? 
right? And you can literally use that as a keyword query on Google or Bing or something like that. How do I decrease insulin? All right. But that, that's what I'm talking about. We want something called insulin sensitivity. When your body's sensitive to insulin, it doesn't need to secrete as much. It doesn't need to have as much circulating. The circulating levels will fall because your body's very sensitive to any circulating amount. The way I can think about it, the best metaphor I would use is like an engine. You're running really clean and lean, right? You just give it a little bit of a spark and a little bit of a fuel here. And, you know, things are firing off and things are so sensitive that that engine is responsive and you're running really lean. That's what you want, metabolically speaking. You want to run lean. You want your body to be very sensitive to insulin. So only little small spurts need to be secreted for your body to signal appropriately. So another search you can do for yourself is how do I boost insulin sensitivity, right? And you'll find a lot of suggestions. Exercise is one of them, obviously. Yep. But there are certain supplements that can actually boost insulin sensitivity. So this is what I spent some time talking with the patients about as well. One of my favorites is cinnamon. Cinnamon's amazing. I've had patients with blood sugars in the 300s who have diabetes. They change nothing else. All they do is start taking cinnamon every day, like a teaspoon, maybe twice a day. Their sugars go from the 300s to the 180s. I've seen it wow. tons of times. Wow. It's amazing, Sean. It's amazing. If wow. all of them, if every diabetic in America knew about cinnamon and just started taking four grams of cinnamon or something like that, they could cut out half of the insulin that they need. They'd save millions of dollars, injections, all this stuff. It would revolutionize diabetes care in our country, really. There's so much on the internet about it, scientifically based cinnamon and diabetes, cinnamon and blood sugar, et cetera. But it can be dramatic because it sensitizes your body to insulin in a very powerful way. Um, there are a couple other ones similarly. So there's a supplement called Berberine, B-E-R-B-E-R-I-N-E. Berberine, you may have heard of it. There's a supplement called Resveratrol, also very good for the brain. And there's a supplement which is an extract from green tea. So the most metabolically potent and active and helpful uh, compound in green tea is called EGCG. stands for epigallocatechin gallate. All right, that's a big mouthful. But EGCG is basically, you can think of it as a healthy thing in green tea potent for boosting insulin sensitivity, also has some really strong anti-cancer properties. So those are some of my favorite supplements to roll out with people um, if they start to stall on their weight loss and if they have a documented high insulin level. And uh, one thing is too, and you can uh, confirm this uh, yeah. possibly, is one way to lower your insulin level is like you talked about earlier, intermittent fasting. Yes. You know, because yes. if you don't, if you don't have the blood glucose circulating around your, in your bloodstream, then you don't need insulin. So your insulin will just naturally go down. So fasting yes. is very important. Yes, indeed. So as we wrap this podcast up, Dr. Turner, um, what would be, if you had to sum up our conversation in one or two sentences, what would that be? Yeah, good question. Um, I'd say it's about discovering a new relationship with food. If you want to be long-term successful in losing weight, you have to discover a new relationship with food. It starts in your mind. It starts about not depriving yourself. It starts about with moderation. Um, it starts about eating when you're hungry, not when you're stressed. And, and, and discovering this new relationship with food um, that still leaves you feeling very satisfied at the end of the day and doubly satisfied because now you're losing weight and you like how you look and feel. It's very possible. Yeah. You can... You can have it all in that sense, right? Now, I'm going to use a very bad metaphor. You can have your cake and eat it too, right? 
Uh, yeah, I need a better metaphor there. But yeah, you can have your cake and eat it too in this sense, which is you can eat healthy and feel good and not feel deprived. Okay. I'm, I'm an example of that, Sean, I'm sure you are as people all over the place. You just have to fundamentally change your relationship to food and open some new doors and close a few doors, but very possible. A diet's the last thing you need. You need to dig deep and get a new relationship with food going. And at least half of it is mental game, as I said. And For sure. And, and one thing that I just tell patients is that, you know, we are made to, you know, eat to live, not live to eat. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're basically made just to stay alive. Food is just to sustain us. You know, it mm-hmm. is a fuel to sustain us. But, you know, unfortunately, we celebrate with food all the time and we, you know, we live to eat instead of eat to live. I see. True. So, Dr. Turner, if people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Yeah, my website, michaelturnermd.com. Uh, we have a great staff. We'd be happy to take your phone calls, your emails, um, and you can see the different kinds of services I offer there. So, michaelturnermd.com, all one word, all lowercase. And well, there, there it is, is right there. Yeah. Thanks for streaming that, Steph. And Dr. Turner, um, I thank you again so much for your wonderful knowledge and for agreeing to our podcast. Uh, we're definitely going to make you a regular on our podcast because you have lots of great subjects that you talk about. And it, it really fits along our mission, which is to educate and empower individuals to take charge of their own health. So, cool. yeah, thank you so much for, for uh, being on today. Thank you, listeners and viewers. You've been listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thank you for listening. 